Welcome to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how's it going today? It's going great, Tim. We had a wonderful weekend as evidenced by the sound of my voice, which is a little bit raspy, much better than it was a couple of days ago uh, coming off of CrimeCon 2022 in Vegas. Uh, but feeling great. Feeling great. I hope everyone out there is feeling good. How are you, Tim? I am doing great as well, Lance. This was uh, an absolute whirlwind of a weekend, and I really couldn't be more proud of how it went on these panels. And uh, this is the second one that we are bringing to our audience this week. If you missed the Brandon Lawson panel that aired on Crawl Space, we will run it on Missing as well as a bonus. Um, but if you want to hear it now, it's available on Crawl Space right now. And the panel that you're about to hear was recorded right there on Podcast Row. There's a little background noise, but nothing overwhelming. We are on the Glassbox Media sponsored stage. And as you might know, they are our new partners. They had a booth there as well. So hopefully they got to get a good feel of what CrimeCon is. And hopefully they met a lot of people as they networked. But a big shout out to them for that stage right there. On Podcast Row, I, I got to say I was a little anxious about it because it was in the middle of everything, but it worked out so well to get that energy from the crowd, not only in the chairs in front of us, plus the people that were going from all of the tables, all of the booths, like talking to the podcast creators, talking to everybody in there. There was a certain energy, and I think uh, you might have used the word uh, a kinetic energy or some kismet going on. Like it, There was just this... Uh, feeling of a community there and really um, outstanding work putting that all together. And the second you sit up there, the anxiety is gone. You feel like you're part of a family up there. That is true. I know I get more calm uh, sitting on the panel for some reason. Uh, my breathing deepens. I don't, I don't even really know why, but you're a pro. You're a pro. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Well, in this episode, Lance, um, on this panel, we had several guests. We had three Private Investigators from Private Investigations for the Missing, which is the nonprofit that we're on the board of. And it was founded by Bruce Maitland, whose daughter Brianna went missing in Montgomery, Vermont in March of 2004. And you can donate to Private Investigations for the Missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. And please follow their social pages as well, because this is a small and fairly new but growing nonprofit that uh, is is quite incredible, Lance. And this is really just one display of how incredible that is, this panel, where we spoke with three private investigators, and I want to introduce them. It is Vanessa Weiland. Andrew Weiland, they speak about the disappearance of Phoenix Colden. That's the case they're working on for PIs for the Missing. We've had him on the show before, just only about a month ago, too. And Phoenix Colden went missing from Spanish Lake, Missouri on December 18th, 2011. She's an African-American female between 5'3 and 5'6. She was around 125 pounds and is 33 years old today. She was 23 when she went missing, Lance. And also Greg Overacker joins us on the panel. Greg Overacker is a sometimes brash former bounty hunter, but current private investigator who has worked on Brianna Maitland's case for years, since since basically since the beginning. And he and Bruce are a big part, well, 
really the reason why PIs for the Missing is in existence at all. Just basically came from conversations between Bruce and Greg, and Greg speaks a little bit about their friendship and connection here on this panel. And in addition to Brianna Maitland's case, Greg Overacker also investigates the disappearance of Erica Jane Franilich from Middleburg, New York, on October 13th, 1986. And she was 26 years old at the time of her disappearance, 5'4 and 100 pounds. She's white and female. And we talk about all three of these cases during the panel. And it's incredible to see the two different types of approaches these private investigators have. So it's a really cool glimpse behind the curtain of private investigations for the missing to see some of that inner working. Vanessa and Andy, they take each of those skill sets and come together uh, to make their investigative team, Lakefront Investigations, the best it can be. Whereas Greg has a very much uh, boots-on-the-ground approach. He has an old-school knocking-on-doors approach. But even with these differences between the two investigative styles, neither one of them is wrong. They just both bring their own approach, and on some level, they achieve their, their successes based on that. Uh, and again, it's really cool to see how that works in the nonprofit, that they can exist within this one entity and 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 achieve the goals that they set out to achieve. Uh, now, granted, Phoenix has not been found, nor has Brianna or Erica, but every day they work on it, they're one step closer. Every day they communicate with law enforcement, they're one step closer. And both of them, Lakefront with Andy and Vanessa and Greg, they all have their own way to interact with law enforcement as well. So given all of that, this is how the nonprofit grows. This is how people hear about it. Uh, to have them on stage, to talk to people at CrimeCon, uh, what better audience to really introduce these, uh, these individuals? And then when the panel's done, you get to go up to them and shake their hand. You get to get more information. Uh, so hopefully there'll be more of those. Hopefully next year we'll get a couple more investigators that join the team. We can get them at, in Orlando uh, for CrimeCon 2023, get another panel going, and, uh, and just continue the momentum. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there was actually a fourth um, private investigator from PIs for the Missing in attendance at CrimeCon. Um, he did not join the panel because uh, the case that he is investigating is not ready, not there yet. Um, but super cool. Four PIs uh, from PIs for the Missing in the in the same room at the same time. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a great indication of how this nonprofit is growing. And make sure to check out what PIs for the Missing is doing. Check them out on social media and there are links in the show notes. And please check out the website and consider donating. And we're also always looking for volunteers. So check that out at investigationsforthemissing.org. And to elaborate a little bit on the volunteers, we're looking for research volunteers. We're looking for grant writing volunteers. We're looking for investigator volunteers. So it's not just uh, looking into certain cases. There's a lot of elements that go into it. If anyone's out there and they have experience building nonprofits from the ground up, reach out to us. And a big thanks to CrimeCon and those who work tirelessly over there to put together these events. It was the biggest one that we've ever been to and the most productive one we've ever been to. So round of applause to them for putting all of those hundreds of elements together and really pulling off a successful weekend. Great. And we're going to play a quick commercial right here, and then we're going to play the panel with the private investigators. And just want to let you know, this will probably end up on the Crawl Space feed as well, uh, just to spread the word on PIs for the Missing as far and wide as we can reach, Lance.
It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, CrimeCon. How's it going? <laughs> yes. Like, look, look at you. Give, you. give yourselves a round of applause for, for coming here. Can, can you hear us okay? I feel like cool. I'm screaming. <laughs> we are Tim and Lance from The Missing Podcast, and we are affiliated with the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by missing person Brianna Maitland's father, Bruce Maitland. And that's what we want to talk about here today. It's a nonprofit, and a lot of the cases that we cover on the Missing Podcast come in through private investigations for the missing. And it's, uh, it's really quite an impressive organization, and we just want to tell you a little bit about it tonight. Yeah, and I think um, one of the uh, main strengths of the organization, not on stage, we have volunteers, uh, someone like Erin, who's sitting right there. She works very closely with PIs for the Missing, so I just wanted to give her a shout out. We have, uh, yeah, give her a little round of, yeah. At our crawlspace table over there, we have uh, PIs for the Missing contact information, and we encourage you to go over there and pick that up. Um, for those of you who don't know, we, we did Missing Maura Murray, and covering one case for the couple hundred episodes that we covered that for, uh, you start to retread that ground, uh, and Bruce had contacted us about the organization that he wanted to found, like, that he wanted to be a part of. He wanted to have this resource for families that weren't able to pay for private investigators, and he welcomed Tim and I to the board. And then we realized all of these stories that are coming in uh, to the, the nonprofit are perfect for the platform that was started with Missing Moore Murray. So if you, if you look at our table over there, it's now the Missing Podcast. And it, it sort of is like the, 
it's like the, the, the podcast child of Missing More Murray. It's what really it was supposed to become. And we're always super impressed with people like Bruce and, and folks here that take that tragedy and make it into something that is very productive and very beneficial for other people who are in their situation. I'm going to stop talking now because we have some amazing private investigators who work with us uh, up here on the panel. All right, well, let's start with the Wylands. We've got Ness and Andrew Wyland. Hello. Hi. And they have been working on the disappearance of Phoenix Colden. Can you tell us a little bit about Phoenix's case? Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, we've been working on the Colden case, uh, the Phoenix Colden case, for two years now. Uh, picked it up with private investigations for the missing just prior or at the height of the pandemic, I think, yeah. Um, and we still work with the family, uh, the family, because we, we are uh, representatives with uh, private investigations for the missing. The family never pays a dime for that service. Uh, this is a family that's been uh, targeted and scammed and taken for a lot, um, uh, victimized over and over again, really, after, the after not being able to find their daughter for the last uh, 10 years, uh, almost going on 11. And is there any, um, does everybody know about the uh, Phoenix Colden's case? Uh, for those who don't know, can you give a bit of a background on what the, uh, the circumstances of her disappearance? Sure. Um, in December of 2011, uh, Phoenix, 23 years old, she went missing from her home in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Missouri. Um, her car was found on the side of the road in East St. Louis, um, and uh, there was an oxygen special, I think, with Shandrea Thomas and the uh, chief of police, um, and, and they kind of uh, did an overview of, of what happened, but uh, basically her car was found, um, and uh, there really hasn't been a trace since. Um, her family had a few hoaxes. Uh, I think you guys have probably... Anybody who's inter interested in like cyber investigations, you've heard of the, the crying phone calls, right? So we had a few of those. Uh, there were people that claimed, uh, private investigators that claimed uh, she was located in California or maybe in California. So they traveled out there billing the family, another in New York. And so uh, there's just been a lot of uh, things going on with the case that, that hadn't uh, really been true or panned out. Um, but yeah, any other? things you can think of to add? No, we just, we keep, um, keep working with the family and uh, we make ourselves available to them um, and they just want Phoenix home. Yeah, they just want Phoenix home. And her car was found on the side of the road? It was, it was, uh, so the uh, current chief of police, uh, Chief Kendall Perry, uh, East St. Louis Police Department, he was the responding officer that night in 2000, or that evening in uh, December 18, 2011, went out to the find the, find the car after a 911 call. And uh, for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with the case, uh, went out and within an hour that car was towed uh, to a uh, to a private lot that was contracting with the with the city. And um, it was about two weeks before the family learned of the car being impounded in East St. Louis. Family living in St. Louis, Missouri, right? about 25, 30 minutes away from where the car was found. Car was found on, uh, 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 what's it, the, name, the street name? Uh, 
St. Clair, St. Clair Avenue, forgive me. St. Clair Avenue, uh, East St. Louis, which is um, in the Oxygen Network, they, uh, Shandrea Thomas and uh, uh, the retired Delia. deputy chief. Joe Delia. Joe Delia, thank you. They, they went out with uh, then Officer Perry, he's still in 2018, wasn't Chief Perry yet. They went out to the scene to get some information to, sh to get his take on the, the, the way he found the vehicle. Um, he dispelled during that engagement uh, a, a belief that the family had and had been pushed out into the media early on, uh, in fact, up until 2018 when the Oxygen Network uh, aired, that the vehicle was found uh, running, uh, doors open in the middle of the road. Um, Chief, uh, Chief uh, Perry now says that's not, he said that wasn't accurate. The car looked like it had stopped. Uh, it had just been stopped and on the side of the road. Um, lots of lots of strange uh, lots of strange things in there that we're still trying to piece piecemeal and take apart. Um, we haven't been able to speak with Chief Perry yet, but uh, I, I believe that conversation will happen soon. We'll be going to St. Louis in the next uh, you know couple months or so, talk with family and things like that. And I just want to be uh, clear about the relationship that uh, Ness and Andy have. Uh, with private investigations for the missing, um, how were you contacted? How did how did the um, how did that connection happen? And when did you decide to take the step forward to present that uh, Phoenix Colden's disappearance as the primary case you were going to work on? Um, so I think I reached out to. Sorry, I'm not used to this, you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm a computer nerd, sorry about that. Um, but uh, I think I reached out to um, Bruce and Lou, actually, after I did a Trace Labs event. Um, I, I'm sure that you guys, if you've heard of Trace Labs, they're uh, an organization that puts together uh, Capture the Flag. Basically, they, for lack of a better term, gamify uh, missing persons cases for uh, and crowdsource uh, people to, to find, like, data and then they put together reports for law enforcement and hand it over. Um, so I got involved with Trace Labs and um, with a few other OSINT organizations. That's kind of what I do um, as a regular, as a normal job day to day. And uh, then as we were looking at missing persons, I just really kind of, I don't want to say fell in love with, but I guess I'm speaking to my people here, so I could use maybe that kind of vocabulary. But um, I really found that I had a passion for, for looking for people that either didn't want to be found or couldn't be found. Uh, so. And you solved your first case with private investigations for the missing. Uh, yes, but that's kind of not fair because <laughs> uh, it was a young man. Um, he had been reporting miss, reported missing actually a number of times in the last time. Uh, it just tur it turned out that sometimes we don't have a very good avenue for um, when people actually are found, how to report that out, right? Or how to say, okay, this is a closed case, that sort of thing. Um, and so it, w it was uh, simple, oh, he's, he's here, he lives in, Mar in the Maryland, D.C. area uh, around where we were, so we were able to um, just kind of... You know. Get him off the nameless list too. Yeah, yeah. yeah get him off it, the it, you're being modest. She's being modest. It's a, it's a victory. It's a win. You did it. Good for you. <laughs> so take, take the, take the credit. Take the win. All take right. the win. Well, yeah, um, I don't get a lot, so that's yeah. fine. <laughs> that's and fine. the two of you have a really unique dynamic because uh, you said you're the computer nerd and you are the one that is 
I, I'm gonna like my uh, terminology is bad, but you're like the behind the scene person. You're uh, and Andy, you've been working with the family uh, very, very closely. Um, it was so closely that I remember you contacting us to prepare us for Goldia, and said, and you said to us, um, "Listen, you need to approach this with compassion, with a capital C." And it was an amazing piece of advice. Uh, where, where do you get that? Where, why, why did you become the person in the dynamic here to, you know, be the the one? She who... made me better. Aren't they cute? Yeah. Aren't they so uh, cute? She, she um, no, no. Uh, I, you know, I, re I retired from the military in 2017. Um, it's kind of in line with the, some of the work that I did when I was in the military. So this is carrying it for us. It's carrying it forward. Um, to try to take something that y'all paid for and then bring it back to the homeland to bring our people home when we can. Whether or not we'll ever succeed, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Colden, they've, they've got a lot of reasons to be uh, not entirely optimistic 10 years later, but um, they are waiting for Phoenix to come home. I hear that, if not Every other week, at least monthly, I'm hearing that, whether it's a text, an email, or a phone call, sometimes just out of the blue, because you just, they just need somebody to, somebody to reach out to, which, forgive me, but I think that's one of the, one of the most powerful things of, uh, about private investigations for the missing, is just that it gives the families someone they trust that they can go to, ask questions of, and not feel that they're gonna get the runaround, not feel like they're going to get scammed, you know, oh, uh, you know, they have a question about something that's going, that they heard about in, in this area. Well, they know that I'm not going to turn around, we're not going to turn around and say, okay, well, in order to do that, you're going to need to give up some money or give up something. We don't do that. And that, I think that's just a very that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually forgot if uh, we have time at the end and anyone has questions, feel free to raise your hand and we'll do any questions that we have time for. Um, and then we'll just make sure we can hear you and we'll repeat the question. So just wanted to get that out of the way. And uh, I want to introduce Greg Overacker right here to my right. He is a former bounty hunter and uh, a current private investigator who uh, is working a couple of cases for PIs for the Missing. And uh, you've, you've got a, a friendship with Bruce Maitland as well. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, when I started working for the Maitlands, Bruce didn't want anything to do with it. He was so hurt over the whole thing. And his wife, Kelly, was really aggressive about getting me on board and stuff like that. But it ended up changing where Kelly moved and, and didn't talk to me a whole lot. But Bruce and I became very close. And to this day, we're really close friends. Yeah. It makes a whole different dynamic in that whole thing. And uh, tell, us, tell us about the journey in, in, in starting this uh, nonprofit. So that was something I, I, I brought up to Bruce. I said, people can't afford this. I mean, who can afford to pay $200 an hour plus expenses and hotel rooms, you know, gas, all this other stuff, court paperwork? Nobody can. So when Brianna's uh, reward money timed out, he took that money, hired an attorney, started the program. We had been talking about it for years. And... Uh, this is huge to families that don't know where to turn. And like you said, people take advantage of these people. They come in, it's hugely predatory. Who does that? Goes to a family that has a missing child and then charges them a bunch of money and just walks away or close to that. So 
we provide investigators that come to the family, don't charge them a penny. Do the work for them, present them. If it comes to a point where they're going to leave, they're not going to do any more work, they present them with everything that they've done so that they can pass it on to somebody else, you know, pass the baton to another investigator. That's huge. So they have something all together, all the media, all the interviews, everything. And they can go to the next investigator maybe and just hear, this is what we have. In our case, so much time has gone by that if you lose that, you know, you can't recapture that stuff. Um, and the police only tell us what they want to tell us, and that's huge. Uh, this is our information. I mean, we give everything to the police, but they don't give us everything. So we can't, you know, the police aren't going to go to them and say, hey, here's the Bible. Here's everything you need. So it's helpful to them. And wh while we're on the subject of the expenses that go into uh, investigating, a disappearance, especially one that uh, requires travel, it requires maybe a couple of days that you stay somewhere. Um, Greg will submit his expenses, just a, maybe give a laugh here, Greg will submit his expenses for approval on the board and it'll list out uh, fuel costs like $52, uh, hotel $72, Lunch, six dollars, yeah. and we're like, "What are you eating for lunch?" Like, I'm the I'm the PI eating a sandwich while I'm driving, and like I'm on the, the gas phone. station yeah. sandwich. Like, you can yeah. you can get a better lunch. <laughs> it's okay. I'm used to cheap hotels, bad food. Yeah, yeah. But in, my good. my point is is that the money that goes in it it, it is simply used to drive the engine. It's yeah. not extravagant. Um, you know, there's. There's uh, how much how much work did it take to get all of the business cards and all of that? Like, it yeah. it costs so much to just do the simple things in order to provide the service. And Greg, what uh, what cases are you working on for private investigations for the missing? So I don't spread myself real thin. I, there's one other case I work, Erica Franilik, and if if you listen to the podcast to do with Erica, it doesn't seem real. You're making this stuff up. It, 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 she's been missing since what 1986. Mm -hmm. It's I called her the forgotten girl, and it stuck because the police just don't work the case. I mean, when I came to them and said I want to do this, they actually invited me in. Yeah, let's have a meeting. That's unheard of. The state police are going to invite you to sit down with them, and they're going to talk to you. No. Very open about it and everything. It was during COVID. I went back to them with a bunch of information. This is the time. This is the information can't. COVID. Sorry. That's it. Haven't heard anything from him since. Shut us out after a while. But this case isn't a mystery. If you watch the podcast, again, you're not going to believe what you hear. There's no who done it. We name who did it. We know he's responsible. He doesn't deny it. It's, it's amazing. And again, I, it's hard to even put yeah. it into words. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances of Erica's disappearance? So, this gets a little involved. Erica's in a really troubled relationship with her husband. 26 years old. She's from Michigan. She ended up in New York State at his family's home, like a farm. They call it a homestead. But they were having drug and alcohol problems. They, uh, their little boy, little two-year-old. Um, she's last seen publicly in a bar. Her family doesn't report her missing in Michigan until February, I believe it's February 25th, 1987. So the police in New York, they, the police in Michigan contact the police in New York. New York sends it back. 
Michigan sends it back. New York sends it back. Michigan calls them and says, what do you want us to do? She's not missing here. So they go down to the homestead. They ask some basic questions, you know, start it off. He goes back, reports to his superior. He retires, starts over. He goes down, does some preliminary investigation, goes back. He gets promoted, starts over, and it just keeps going like that. Her husband doesn't like the fact that people are coming around asking questions, so he moves. He ends up moving to Albany area, but eventually he realizes that if he moves someplace, this is pre-internet, if he moves someplace where just nobody knows him, he can start over. He can just go live his life. Now he's got the two-year-old in tow, their child. He moves to Vermont, oddly, within a stone's throw of where Brianna Maitland goes missing in 2004. So, uh, and Brianna is um, Bruce Maitland's daughter. daughter. And uh, Bruce is the founder of PIs for the Missing. Right. So for me to be involved, I live in upstate New York, with Bruce's case in northern Vermont. And many years later, he starts this organization. I say, hey, let me work this one close to me because it'll cut down on our expenses. And it's supposed to be the first one for the organization to get people to try to give us money to show that we're working and this is the exposure. And it takes us right back up to Brianna, literally right to where she, her crash site was. Brianna's best friend dated the little boy that grew up, uh, the little two-year-old that the father took up there in tow. Erica's daughter, or uh, son? Erica's son. Uh, so the husband moves up there, and it's just forgotten about. Eventually, the family makes a stink, and they send... One trooper gets, goes after it really hard for 10 years, um, nine years, and then he retires, and then it stops again. But he went up there, and he really badgered him. He really went after him. Um, you know, he went to Albany and tried to enlist politicians, and look, we've got to prosecute this guy, this and that, and the other thing. And No, it's an election year. We're not going to touch that. And they, it's politics. And it gets dropped, and it's dropped now, and nothing's happening with it. Um, you know, Eric is... Sister, do you remember, she took the husband to dinner and sat for a two-hour dinner with him. At the end of the dinner, she, she didn't mention it through the whole dinner. He knew it was coming. She said, you killed my sister, and I know it. He didn't say a word. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, no, I didn't. Nothing. He just it, sat there? He looked down or something? Yep. She said he just looked down at the ground. He's embarrassed. But it's, if, if you, it, please listen to the episodes on this. It, it, it's mind-boggling to listen to and to deal with these people you know, to hear about it's one thing, and you deal with a family and, and listen to them tell their stories, it's incredible. You know, you have the incidents where their Erica's brothers come from Michigan and go to the, the house looking for her and, and demanding to tell us what happened. And um, the police said, you got to go home or we're going to arrest you. You know, they can't, they can't do anything about it. It's heartbreaking. So we're trying to get exposure for that. I'm trying to get a journalist to write a nice, big, long article that'll turn things inside out, but I don't know if that's going to happen. That'd be great. If there are any journalists here who want to talk about that case or any case, please uh, come up to us. We're over there at the Crawl Space and Missing Table. And uh, we have produced five episodes on Erica's disappearance. Um, one of them was a, a search as well. Uh, they live on both the Missing and the Crawl Space feeds. Um, you'd have to scroll back a little bit, but they're there. So oddly, her whole family comes to us and says, yeah, he killed her. And will you please go search the site? So we do that, which is amazing that they would come to us. 
and do that. But as far as the organization goes, we came to them out of the blue, and this is 30 years later. The family came to us and said, you've done more for us than a, in a year than the police have done for us in 30. And thank you. And it didn't cost us a penny. You know, and it, and it, it nudged the police, too, to, to move forward. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship that you have? I know you got into it a little bit, but can you uh, go on a little bit more, a little further, about the relationship you have with Bruce and how he compartmentalizes working the organization, working with the investigators, and keeping Brianna separate? Because I think that's important to know how someone can not be fueled by their, their grief. I can't do this without getting choked up. What's that? I can't do this without getting choked up. I can't. Well, you, <laughs> I know. So, Bruce will tell you he has a room that he goes to and shuts the door. And that's it. And he'll, if I give him stuff, if I bring him information or something, he may not talk to me for a week because he doesn't want to talk about it. And then he'll, when he's ready... He'll call me. You know what I mean? But he had, you know, he had guys come in and leave. He had guys come in to help him that would approach him. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go fishing for private investigators. Guys would come to him and say, I'm in this. They'd work it for six months or a year, and they'd walk away. And he'd, you know, where are you going? And it kept happening over and over and over. You know, he's come to me, and he said, you never left. And I told him I wouldn't. And Lou won't either. Lou won't walk away. But... He, he's learned to kind of, you know, some people don't have a problem saying no. I don't have a problem t- telling people no. What? I don't have a problem. He, he doesn't have a problem telling people no. There's certain people do. But if, you wanna, if he doesn't want to talk, he'll tell you no. I, I can't. But he'll come back to it. Is that what you were looking for, I think? No, yeah, it's an honest answer. Yeah. And I think uh, I was getting to... The, the relationship that the two of you have with uh, the Coldens as well. I mean, both of those families have their own set of like grief factors, I guess you'd say. And I'll extend the question to the two of you as well. How, how, when, when did you realize like this is a long-term thing and you're going to have to deal with the, 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 all of the emotions that come with it. And that, that does translate to you guys, right? You have this, I don't know, you have to like have this personal dividing between the professional and the emotional, but sometimes you need to have the emotional in order to even relate to the family. And, but how do you walk away from that? You can't. I... 
Yeah, I, I, my experience with the Coldens, particularly with Goldia, um, there's just a lot of pain there. And, yeah. and, and yeah, it's, it is difficult to not get choked up, yeah. uh, especially when you get a call at two in the morning, um, you know, and there's nothing you can do to help her. Yeah. Zero, nothing. Not, I, all I can do is be a person on the phone. And that, would... that, 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 that sucks to use that vernacular. It just sucks. The things that, the things that Bruce went through, and I, it's, it's hard to explain it. And when I met them, they lived in a house, a country house. They'd moved out of Vermont to upstate New York. So I went there and I met with them, and I pulled in. They had horses, they had a fence up there and stuff. I get up to the house, and there's two really big, angry dogs in the house. I'm very aware of that by, from my other work. So I, I'm very aware of dogs. I'm the fir- first thing I look for when I get out of a car and stuff like that. And uh, he had an alarm on the driveway and the dogs there and stuff like that. Well, what had happened was people would harass them. Who harasses the family of missing, have a missing child? That was their only offense. People thought that it would be a good idea to harass them. So they would get calls. They would get people. When they lived in Vermont, their driveway was a mile long into the woods. People would come flying down into they had two homes there, you know, turn around, do a burner, and drive away. Well, that leads to Bruce and his son getting in a car and chasing them. And words are exchanged, and guns are pulled, and it's Vermont. There's... You know, it's kind of, you, you, law enforcement is you most of the time. So how do you, when he's telling me these stories, I'm thinking, how do you go through that all the time? And, and that's part of the reason they moved. But they were protecting themselves. You know, their son uh, got letters in his mailbox saying, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kill your wife like I killed your sister kind of thing. Um, and that was when we, we put out a couple of artic- uh, newspaper articles. Hank Alberelli, a journalist, wrote a couple of articles that were really good, really intense. And um, so that's when threats would come in and stuff like that. And so, Greg, I, I got to jump in too. Like uh, the, the Coldens, you know, were living in St. Louis when Phoenix went missing. They, they no longer live in Missouri. Um, and the, the police, <clears throat> yeah. their first, I understand it, but their first, their first instinct is to, is to question the, the the family's decision to move. Yep. But yeah. you just outlined all the reasons why yeah. the Coldens moved. I the, mean, the, every to this day, the people yeah. at, say, "Well, the Maitlands moved. Why would they do that? Your daughter's missing." It's not going to change. It. They moved right outside. They actually yeah. moved right outside of the news coverage from the Vermont news, so that they could still return and stuff, but they didn't want to hear it on the nightly news all the time and all that and stuff. Yeah, and the Coldens were very transparent with the authorities because they wanted to keep the authorities involved. They wanted them to um, to continue to talk with them, to provide them information. Mm, but So they'd let them know where they were living. There's no secret. Uh, there was no secret. It was just get away from the noise. And, uh, yeah. There's so many bizarre things. So in, in these cases, the least likely person to be involved is a parent, the le- by far. And they went after Bruce like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they just, he got to the point where he just, it was pissed. And then that makes him think he had something to do with it even more. There was a lot of things that were questionable that the police did. And, you know, I think that's, because most people in their law enforcement career will never come in across this kind of a case, they're not trained on it. They're trained on the things that they're probably going to have to deal with and they're probably going to come into contact with. So when Brianna went missing and they went in to talk to the police, they initially said, 
Well, she probably went to Boston. A lot of the kids here go to Boston and stuff like that. And this is a very specific thing he, he'll discuss. He said, my daughter's car was crashed into a building. Her paychecks are on the seat. Her migraine medicine's there. Her contacts are there. And she went to Boston. How did she get there? She doesn't have her car. And they just, it was just stupid things like that that, that drove them insane. I mean, it would, it would have been a lot healthier for them if they didn't have to go certain things like that, you know. And how does private investigations for the missing interact with law enforcement in these cases? You know, we got Lou Barry, a 35-year law enforcement professional, who's a retired police chief, and he really gets us in the door in a major way. Um, I have a bad habit of rubbing the police the wrong way. He doesn't. But uh, they've... The Vermont State Police, in that particular case, initially it was really a fight. But now they've got really good people in there. They help us out. They do a great job. They keep us informed. I mean, it doesn't matter if they keep me informed. They keep Bruce informed. So they tell Bruce he's going to tell me. But um, So it works well like that. Um, and lose the, lose the foot in the door, you know? Right. Lou, being a former police chief, yeah. he... Uh can make a phone call and, and get, get that call returned oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's really hard for me and Lance to do that. Yeah. Speak uh, for yourself. I, I, I can pick up the phone and I can get the DA on any time of the day. No, it is, it is amazing to work with somebody like Lou Barry because uh, if, if Lou Barry speaks and he says, like, this is something you should do, you already know that he's totally vetted it. And it's at the point where you don't even have to question uh, what the accuracy or whether you're going to be saying the wrong thing. Or I mean, it's come through so many channels at that point. He's like the word at the end. And although if you do make a mistake, he's also that word right there that's like, you need to fix this like ASAP um, if we're going to maintain this relationship with law enforcement. Um, but it, it, I, I didn't even think about this question until you're talking about law enforcement and how you know, you're, you're talking about the whole process. This person retires, this person gets promoted, it falls back, it falls back. It's bureaucracy. Yeah, it, yeah, just classic bureaucracy. But um, do you think that the importance of a private investigator is also to be that outside person who's not like so woven into the fabric of a community where they worry about things like that, where they worry about maybe I don't know, talking to the wrong person who might have some influence, and you have an investigator who comes in totally outside of that, and they can um, give a different, you know, perspective, a different point of point of view. Maybe talk to some people who aren't comfortable talking to law enforcement. Yeah. Works that way sometimes. Sorry, it works that way sometimes. I mean, it's that thing of having enough moxie to know who you're talking to if you're going to piss somebody off, or if you should talk to them, or if you should ask for their help, right? Or you should, who you should get on board and who you shouldn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I haven't been exactly um, compassionate with a big C when it comes to uh, Chief Perry. In this case, I've got a lot of feelings about the way the uh, that that little investigation initially was handled. So, yeah, managing those relationships with law enforcement, I've pissed off some cops too. In you know, I'm super pro police. I don't want to sound like I'm not, but I'll give you an example. Is Jason Watts still here? He left. Jason leave? So Jason Watts did a search for Brandon Lawson. And he called me one night and he said, you know, let's talk about this. What do you think? I said, the kid only 
he could only go so far. I mean, he's got to be in this area, right? Does it make sense? He's on foot. So he went to a, a property owner and he said, can I search your property? And the guy said, if the police say it's okay, you can. I mean, these big pieces of land. So he goes back to the police and he said, hey, if you, tell me, if you say it's okay, I can search it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say it was okay. They wouldn't give him the permission. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Jason found him because he wouldn't stop looking. And he knew, buddy, he's got to be there. So, you know, he's got to be somewhere. That, and he found him. And then when Lou calls the police and says, hey, uh, he found him, then they're, they're not happy. That's, that's, there shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't, there shouldn't be a fight there. And that's why I just kind of have a problem with at home. I'll let Lou handle that. We can get into that uh, more tomorrow. We're going to be talking with Jason Watts and uh, Ledessa. Um, but what do you mean? Who, who wasn't happy? The police weren't happy? The, yeah, the, the landowner said, look, if the police say it's okay, you can come on my property and search. So they went to the police and said, he, he needs your permission. And they said, no. Why would you say no? Landowner, it's okay with the landowner. Let him search. But they responded. I go through, you know, I, I, again, I'm pro-police and everything. But when I was bounty hunting, I would go into towns in the middle of the night and just take people because... I didn't want to have to deal with the police because it was a mess and it was, they could take them away from you. You know, if they're an NCIC, they could pull them away from you. So I just try to just take them. But I just don't want to go through the gripe and, oh, I got to call my superior and, oh, I got to go there. You know what? Get back to me on that. And I just go grab them. It's done. You know, it's too much of a hassle. We were considered, we would tell people, we are to law enforcement what FedEx is to the post office. You know, you guys go do that. I got one objective. I'm leaving home. I'm going to come home with him. And that's it's done. So th this was your career as a bounty hunter. Yeah, that, that, yeah, and that's the way stuff should work. And when, when, I, when I go out and work private investigation cases, I do it the same way. So I'm not going to get involved in all that thing with like an Erica Franklin's case where this was calling their superior and they're sending something down there. Then he gets promoted and the, that file gets lost. And you know, we had we had things with Brianna's case where we had one instance where somebody called us up and said, "Look, whatever happened to the statement that was given? It's a long story. I won't go into the whole thing." We're like, what are you talking about? And they said, it was a statement that was given back in 2012. Okay. So call the police. Well, you know, Lou confers with them. And he says, what about this? We never heard about this. They had no idea it ever happened. The cop who took the statement many years prior had just filed it. No one ever saw it. What happened was we ended up telling them, go look for this. They went and turned a place upside down and found it and stuff like that. But that's not, because it's not necessarily because they're bad at their job either. It's just a bureaucracy. There's so much going on. There's such a big machine that stuff gets lost. So, and I don't, I, don't want the, I don't want to give the Vermont State Police the idea that I'm bad-mouthing them either, too, because I'm not. They're professional. They've been great to us. They're fantastic with Bruce, and, and they're, they know what they're doing. And I'm curious, how, what is the process of, uh, of a case that's submitted to private investigations for the missing? What, is, what process does it go to to get to private investigators? You know, that's not something I really handle. But when, when people contact us, it gets vetted. And then I, I believe Lou might be the one that chooses. Yeah, I think it's Lou and Bruce. Yeah, I think they, Bruce, they both go over the, um, the cases, each case, yeah. um, together. And then they uh, submit it to the board, I, I believe, right? I think, yeah, I think Bruce would get final word in any end of the board. You guys do, do get to choose? Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we say no to every single case. <laughs> yeah. No, just kidding. Thanks. In uh, our case with, no. uh, with, with the Coldens, um, Lou reached out to the Coldens first, and then we had to have a couple of phone calls with the family 
to um, get to them to convince them. Yeah, yeah, to to get them on board because they had had uh, several bad experiences before, like we said, and so it, it took them talking to us. I think a total of like five hours before anybody even agreed to take the case, um, and then they were then they finally said, okay, well we'll work with you guys, but Goldia was very confident in saying, but if you guys mess with us, I've got my cane and I will hit you over the head. So we started with a <laughs> they are the, threats of bodily harm already. They are the <laughs> example of someone who got taken advantage of, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah, they really are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. awful. Yeah, and they still are to this day. They get text messages of just crude, crude photos, um, just the kind of things that you would never want to see. And, and I, I think when you were speaking before, like what kind of keeps us involved, what, you know, we have two kids, your kids are grown, but they're never grown. You know what I mean? Like they're still your children. And uh, we, we have two of our own that um, are in their 20s and they do things that, you know, we did in our 20s. They're wild and out sometimes. And uh, so that, I know the kinds of situations that they can get into. Um, and it's not because of a fault of theirs or they're just young, they're exploring the world. And that means that uh, those kids are part of the community. And as you know, people of the community, we wanna make sure that we're extending whatever we can, we're giving whatever help we can to our neighbors because that's what I would want if something happened to my own children. You know? So mm -hmm. I'll keep me going, I think. Yeah. And Ness, can you talk a little bit about specifically what you do when you're investigating? I think uh, it's Dr. Ness. We were supposed to call her doctor. <laughs> that is not true. I am not a doctor in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I, uh, with, with my background, um, I'm intelligence. I don't have a law enforcement background except for in management with, with some of the uh, federal agencies, but um, I really use the technical skills that I have, um, much like I'm sure many of you do, right? We're armchair detectives. Um, and we, we, I look for people in places, um, whether or not it's on pers uh, you, you know, PAI or something like that, just public information or dark web. Um, my current obsession is tracking cryptocurrency. So you wanna talk uh, finances, come, come hit me, you know? slide in my DMs, um, but uh, yeah, so th that's really what I do mostly, um, just kind of take the experience that I've had, writing reports, analysis, putting those things together from open source intelligence and um, uh, using, applying those same tools to, to missing persons. I, I mean, exploring the world of the dark web it must be a, a frightening and exhilarating endeavor and when you're looking into the disappearance of uh, Phoenix Colden, where do you start when you're looking into, the, like, when you, I don't even know how to do it, when you Google dark web, I don't, like, how do you even start that? So honestly, um, for me, I start with reaching out to people who do this on, on a professional level almost, right? Because I, I think that I'm one of those uh, jack of all trades, so my, my knowledge is spread kind of thin, and then I look for people that you know are siloed and, and they have like really deep experience in certain things. Um, so for something like this, for Phoenix, because she disappeared at a time where um, 
you know, uh, people were starting to get into MySpace and things like that, but social media still hadn't taken over uh, the way that, that it has now. Um, we, we have to look for other ways, uh, old platforms where maybe her usernames were used, other places where maybe her email was used or mentioned or something like that. Um, and then we have to kind of follow that track that, you know, trace other people talking about her. Um, a lot of sitting on YouTube watching old videos of people who really want to become uh, rap producers and things like that. Uh, looking and seeing what was going on in St. Louis and East St. Louis at that time. Um, so, so those are the kinds of things that we do. Yeah. And Greg, your approach, uh, I feel like, is, is uh, very different from that. Uh, not that you don't do your online research, but you, uh, you're always in the car. You're always driving. You're always knocking on doors. When I got involved with Brianna Maitland's case, there were so many people they had pointed fingers at that we kind of had to deal with them one at a time. We still do. But that was a huge thing. I mean, they, people were convinced this is the person, this is why. So you would have to take that and eliminate it. And that's really what we've done over the years is just keep eliminating people. It's not that we, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you all are with Brianna's case. And I can't explain the whole story, but, you know, her car's found. It's always the car found abandoned by the side of the road type of situation, obviously. And, and, I, and you know, I was talking to Julie Murray, Maura Murray's car obviously was crashed and abandoned by the side of the road and so was Brianna's they were 90 miles apart so they were thought to maybe perhaps be related well that's something that's not true you just you can't put your car in your pocket and take it with you the car's going to be left behind whatever happens happens but uh, in, in our case we had to go and remove things the, the, car, the police came and towed the crime scene away again you know they they came upon the car it's crashed into a building there's car there's paychecks on the seat um and it, it was stuck. It was hung up on the foundation of this building, right? And it just, yeah, and it towed the car away, didn't run the registration to see that it was, you know, who it was registered to or anything. And then the officer went on to a, a long weekend. And um, so he didn't file his paperwork until he came back three days later or something, four days later. So that just kind of knocked us out of that. But so we didn't have a lot of, I mean, the police didn't have a lot of evidence to, to, to work with, physical evidence to work with. So we would take each rumor or whatever we, we, scenario we heard and we'd have to knock each one out. And we still do that to this day. Kind of a, didn't have a choice. And there's a lot of rumors in that case. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's a sparsely populated country area. And, and, but that's all we have to work with, a lot of what we have to work with. Yeah. It's upsetting. Now we have about five <clears throat> or so minutes to go. Um, does anyone have any questions? Oh, look at that. Perfect time. What did it say? What, five, okay, gotcha. Five minutes, yeah. Um, does anyone have any questions for Greg, Andrew, or Ness? Yes, we got one over there. Oh, wait, you're getting a mic. Oh, perfect. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm from Houston. Anybody from Houston here? Uh, I wanted to ask the private investigators, let's say you come across a piece of evidence that's crucial to the case. How is the chain of evidence handled? That makes sense. Great I, question. Yeah, if I can get a, uh, the police there, I get them there immediately. I, I don't take control of it if I don't have to. If I have to, I have to. Can, can anyone un, like, imagine how Greg would take control of evidence? 
If he has to, he has the to. The first thing that they're going to say is that you screwed something up. You, you, you don't ever hand it off to anybody. Yeah. It, it's bad enough when, a, when an officer handle, handles evidence. They, he gets accused by the defense attorney of, of mishandling it. You can imagine if they, they'd be all over me. Yeah. You know? that's, why the, that's why police don't want to deal with private investigators. They'll take all your information. It's a one-way street, usually. They'll take all your information. They're not going to give you anything. But if, you, if something ends up at trial and that defense attorney finds out, he's like, oh, there's a private investigator involved? Really? Let's get him on the stand because I'm going to rip him apart. And he's basically going to say, you're not an accredited police agency. See, and that's good to know that this organization has investigators who identify that, that oh. identify, I'm not going to take this evidence and be the hero. I'm going to take this evidence and turn it over. Oh, I've yeah. testified. You don't want to be on the receiving end of that. You don't want... I don't want to be at the receiving end of anything coming from <laughs> you. <laughs> you, don't want, you, don't want, you don't want people ripping you apart while you're on the stand, dinner. you know? <laughs> so... We got another question down front. Dr. This one's going to be a smart one. No, no, no. I'm borrowing it from Dr. Shiloh. <laughs> so about the car being taken, did they not run the registration? What, what was the Brianna's? Day? Yeah. No. So uh, Brianna left the restaurant at 11.20 at night. Um, she drove literally two minutes up the road. It's like a country highway. Um, and it was crashed, backed into a, a building on the opposing side of the, the road. So we have witnesses within the next, I think it's 50 minutes, three different witnesses, four actually, two in one vehicle. Drove by, saw the vehicle there with the lights on, doors open, blinker going. So she's taken for, in haste, it appears to be. She's crashed, doors open, lights on, she's gone. The next morning, uh, a group of skiers, the Jay Peaks there, went by, saw the vehicle, thought it was so odd that they got out and took pictures. And that's the only reason the public has any pictures. By 1 o'clock that afternoon, they leave. They don't know what, what's going on, but they look in the vehicle and stuff. And the house is abandoned. It's not something like, oh, this is someone's house that lives here. It's boarded up. 1 in the afternoon, a police officer comes by. They get a call. There's a car crash into the house. He picks up some change and a broken necklace off the ground, throws it in the car, sees the paychecks that's from the inn down the road, has it towed, goes to the inn, it's closed, finishes his shift and goes on his three-day weekend. So the crime scene's been towed away. You know, Lou and I have discussions about this where he, he thinks it's reasonable to think that that was a car crashed from by a drunken driver, and I don't, but that's just a difference of opinion. But, yeah. Well, uh, we do know that Othram Labs has gotten involved to some degree in Brianna Maitland's case and actually helped um, identify a piece of DNA that was um, involved in the case. And uh, you can check out everything Othram does at dnasolves.com. And please check out everything that Private Investigations for the Missing does on their social pages and at their website at investigationsforthemissing.org. And you can get the information over at the Crawl Space table. And we're also just putting it out there. We're always looking for researchers. We're always looking for volunteers that work with uh, social media. Anybody who's, you know, just interested in doing some sort of, like, case organization, fundraisers. Um, grant writers. Grant writers. It's a growing nonprofit, but hopefully you've seen, like, some of the inside baseball of how it comes together and the importance of it. Um, I also want to thank Glassbox for putting up this stage here, uh, right over there. Just a little shout out to them. I don't know if this was, uh, I think this is the first time that these uh, panels have been done within the podcast row. 
and it's a whole different energy. It's like uh, a really cool energy to feel like everything going on and then talking to you folks. Um, thank you for showing up. And uh, just anything else that we, because I feel like I'm getting the, the, the wrap it up sign. <laughs> Do you have yeah, the... no, that's, yeah. We're, we're basically out of time. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.